0: ever get the uneasy feeling that you've been fed a lie? Not just any lie, but one that you have believed your entire life and which has guided many of your decisions. Most of the time, we shake off this feeling and go about our lives. But what if that feeling was the key to unlocking everything? I'm Joe Kwan, The Connection Counselor, and on each episode of The Big Lie, we'll reveal a new lie that, once uncovered, has the power to transform your relationships, career, and life. Let's do this. Do you enjoy having great ideas but not being heard? Or worse, having someone repeat them and get all the credit? Are you happy to continue delivering great work, only to be passed over and watch as others from outside the company or your peers get the job? Would you benefit from being part of a community whose focus is on developing the interpersonal skills needed to elevate your career? Hi, I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and I just launched such a community on Slack called Unlock You. If you believe unlocking interpersonal skills is a crucial part of elevating your career, I would love for you to join us. Enrollment is currently open and free. You can go to www.connectioncounselor.com and click on the link to join us. See you soon. Hello, welcome everyone to another episode of The Big Lie. Today, I'm really excited to share with you our guest, Rand Spiro who's president of Street Smart Financial, a fee-only financial planning and investment management firm located in Lexington, Massachusetts. Rand has a background in strategic planning, business, and psychology, which provides a multidisciplinary approach to financial matters. He successfully completed the financial planning program from Boston University and is a board-designated certified financial planner. He is frequently quoted in major publications such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Barron's, and Consumer Reports Money Advisor. I came across Rand through a mutual friend of ours, Sarah Elkins, and she, for some reason, thought that we should connect. And as usual, she was right because we connected and we hit it off, and here we are today. How are you, Rand?
1: I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you very much.
0: So, how did you end up? Um, coming across Sarah, by the way. Just curious.
1: Well, we have a mutual friend who uh, I've worked with a long time. And uh, he just said, um, you know, he thought we had mutual interest. Um, I've been doing more writing. uh, I've been on a podcast and he said he thought she was terrific and that we would connect.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Great. She's definitely a, a connector. So I appreciate her connecting both of us. So let's get to know you a little bit better. Uh, what would you say is your superpower?
1: Um, I would say probably curiosity. Uh, I, I just generally am curious about people and am oftentimes amused by them. And um, it's really served me well. I know when I was a consultant, the, the way I found my best information was not through rigorous analysis. It was just asking people at various companies I was working with questions and just listening. So I would say Superpower is really curious when people give me answers, just wanna keep on following up. Why, why is that, why is that? And oftentimes it gives me uh, insightful uh, comments that I can share with clients.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that I agree that curiosity is definitely a superpower. Um, it seems to me that a lot of adults start to um, lose some of their curiosity over the years. And just curious if you have any thoughts on, on why some people, you know, as adults are more curious than others.
1: Well, I think that's a great question. I, sometimes I find people, when they get successful, um, have this attitude. Well, I guess I already know. I have to show what I know, show show that I'm an expert, show that I'm on top of things. And uh, being curious indicates sort of a childlike uh, approach that indicates you might not have all the answers. So I think adults oftentimes feel that they're obligated to project a sense of mastery when they should instead say, There's always more things to learn.
0: Mm, Interesting, interesting. I mean, I've experienced that myself where, you know, we have a young son uh, who's 11 and he's getting to the point where he's pretty dangerous on a computer, right? Like he can pick up like, you know, little shortcuts and, and, and tips, but sometimes... I have a tendency to think, "Wow, what can he really teach me?" Right? Like he's he's so much younger. But some of the stuff he ends up showing me, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is so much easier!" <laughs> but if I don't give him the chance, you know, when he says, "Dad, let me show you something," then then I never learn it. You know, it's it's my loss because I wasn't curious. I wasn't open.
1: Yeah, and I I when I was a consultant before I became a fee-only financial planner, I oftentimes was brought in to companies, and I would ask. People at various levels, questions, and some of them were the, you know, maybe it was the receptionist, maybe it was somebody who people decided had very little to offer. And I got oftentimes my best insights by. Just asking them what they saw and being curious their perspective. And I I think we just eliminate whether it's thinking a young person, as you, you comment, well, they don't have something to offer, I'm much more experienced, or somebody, oh, they're a lower level than me, they don't mm-hmm. have something to love it, or the person doesn't have my educational background, whatever it is, they don't have anything to offer. We prejudge this and we really close ourselves off from, you know, learning things.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Love that. Love that superpower. Curiosity. So let's proceed to our launching point for our discussion with our big lie. Uh, Today, we just have a a, a quote uh, instead of a video. Uh, And the quote is, follow your passion and the money will follow, right? So we've heard that a lot, right? Follow your passion and the money would follow. What's what's your reaction to that? How is that uh, a big lie, Rand?
1: well i i talk to a lot of you know maybe older people in particular as oh you know if i'd only followed my passion things would have worked out for me and it's it is important to to know what you like and to be able to accentuate your particular skills i think that is important but when you tell people well once you're in in touch of with what what interests you everything else will fall into place it it tends to make Things seem easier than they are. Just mm. being in touch with what you like or what you want to do is really only a starting block. It, it's not an end destination. And um, I think the, the, and, and, and the, the journey, once you are in touch with what are your passions or what you care about, can have a lot of ups and downs. So this idea that once you get in touch with it, then everything will fall into place is is a lie in the sense that it's only the beginning?
0: Oh I see, I see so it's it's necessary but not sufficient to actually maybe generate the outcome that you that you think it will, which is either financial or, or, or psychological sort of happiness right
1: right and and I, I think the the issue is also, what I think it understates is how important adaptability is. So, okay, if I know what I want, if I know what, what are my skills, then everything should work into place because the world should understand that they're willing to either hire me or pay for or come to terms with, with what I like and things keep on changing and you have to be very adaptive. And particularly in this pandemic time, uh, the stress on adaptability is is quite considerable.
0: Yeah, one thing I really like what you're saying about the adaptability is kind of finding that fit between your passion or what you're great at delivering and uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, you know, what the world really needs or wants, right? So, you know, yes. maybe... Like it's valuable. So I'm not saying it's valuable, but if you shop it in the wrong place or, or if you try to give it to the wrong people, you know, the whole like, you know, selling ice to Eskimos or, you know, uh, something yeah. like that, right? It's, it's like, yeah, you know, that's not great. But if you were in the desert, then you'd be a rockstar kind of thing. So sometimes I feel like we, I don't know if it's like an egocentric thing, but we think like, wow, it's so great. So everyone should just be falling at, you know, falling at our feet yes. and throwing money at us because we're so wonderful.
1: And, and what really makes it more challenging than ever is how technology does a shift. So let's say you decided your passion was travel and you okay. became an expert in, 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 in traveling to particular parts of the world. And you became so good that you were valued by clients who had uh, funds to be able to go on these trips or corporations, and you became quite renowned in your expertise and then all of a sudden the internet comes and people say, hmm, I bet if I did research on this and I did that, I'm not sure I need to talk to that that travel expert anymore. And, you know, I would rather read 50 reviews and see how many five stars there are next to that review. I don't <laughs> yeah, that one guy might know, but I'll read 50 and take my time. So you know what? Thank you for your expertise. Thanks. I'm really happy that you love travel, but you know, I'll just Google it and I'll look at some reviews and call it a day. So it's, it's very challenging that, that technology literally changes what. while well, one way your expertise was uh, accepted by the marketplace and now the marketplace moves on and you, you, you're stuck with, well, I know what my passion is. Now how am I going to um, turn it into something that's valued by the current marketplace?
0: You know, I, I I love two words that you're saying right now, Rand, that really has got me thinking. One is expertise, right? So you may have expertise in a very specific obscure thing, and it's valuable today, right? But then tomorrow something shifts, whether it's the internet or it could be regulations, it could be anything. Something totally shifts. There's a sea change, and that expertise is not valued. And and the other word that you were using, which which I think is key to this, is the only reason your expertise was giving you uh, an income and, and a livelihood is because it had value, right? So it's not about expertise, it's about how do you bring value to people? And as long as you can figure out a way to bring value, I feel like that's, that's where you kind of have to align like your passion with providing value, not just expertise. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think that's an excellent point and, and value is a moving target. That's the key. And so, for example, let's say I had an expertise as an academic okay. and I got a Ph.D. in, in a field uh, philosophy or something. And, and you were really good and, and you had an award winning dissertation. People love this. And now you see universities saying, well, we we're, we're fi- uh, have financial constraints. Um, we don't have many philosophy majors coming in. We don't have this. We don't have that. You know, maybe we'll buy a couple of odd lied, real superstar philosophy professors to do the couple of courses we have. And I think we're going to marginalize that department now because, you know, we just don't see much value in the marketplace today. And you're like, that's my area of expertise. And before people really valued it. And now how do I reassess or, 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 or reposition this. And it, and it becomes a challenge.
0: Mm. So um, in terms of the adaptability, right? So, yes. you know, you, you work with different clients who, uh, you know, have been in various different businesses, and I'm sure to become successful, they've they've had to adapt. And I'm curious to get your perspective. What are some of the challenges? Like, why are some people, just like how some people are more curious, you know, why are some people more able to adapt let's say because of this pandemic or uh, a shift in industry like what have you seen from your clients from your experience working with people uh, that helps people adapt or hurts people you know in terms of their adaptability
1: well i think you see some people saying we have to keep moving forward um there is a very successful restaurant in 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 the boston area where where i live and one of the most successful and obviously during the pandemic the restaurants were closed and this this i talked to the head of this this particular restaurant shane and and he said here here's the seven steps i'm moving ahead with he said for example before we had 40 options on our menu. We had this, this, this. We can't afford this. This is what we're going to do instead. We're going to, you know, we're limiting the options. We're doing this. We're doing this. This is how we're going to have to reconfigure things. And he was just moving at an amazing speed in terms of how he was going to move forward. And this was a very successful chain that you know, they could say, well, look, we had 40 years of success. Why do we have to change? This isn't fair. This is, you know, we've done things right. We, we, we're already considered a winner. Why should we have to change? And he didn't feel he could waste his time doing that. He was moving forward. Where are things going? Where, where's the opportunity? Where can I cut costs? Where can I add value? What are people going to want in this new situation? And I was incredibly impressed with the fact he kept on looking forward and we spent almost no time talking about his success in the past or why this was a bum rap for him or, you know, why they're going to do things the way they did before because that worked for them and that's the way he liked doing it. He was like, we're, we're moving. And, and I, I, I have this sense that the, the real um, – People who can do this are keeping on looking forward. They're not looking as much in their rearview mirror of, let's go back to where we were before and why that is unfair. That's not the way the situation is today. They kind of accept the present and they might not be happy with it, but they are constantly looking to add value today.
0: You know, I, I love that story. It actually reminds me of something my uh, father-in-law uh, he passed away uh, several years ago, but but that he told me, which I always found super fascinating. So he was, um, came up uh, in South Korea in high school and college, going to some of the best schools, right? So it's the equivalent of going to like a charter magnet school, you know, here in high school, and then going to like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, you know, Ivy League school sure. uh, here. So he did that in Korea. And so his friends are sort of um, academic wise, you know, they're like, top of the top. You know, there are people who are becoming doctors, lawyers, he was a a nuclear engineer. So a lot of them, they emigrated to the US uh, in, in the late 60s, early 70s. And depending on what field they were in, it was easier or harder for them to do the same thing here because of language and accreditation requirements. And you know, it's, you know, everyone had a slightly different story. But what he told me, is they all had the same training. They were all kind of smart uh, and, and, and hardworking. The ones who did better ultimately, right? Whether they did what they thought they were going to do or whether they did something totally different were the ones who were able to let go of that feeling of, oh, I'm so well-educated and I, and I did all this stuff. I should have here in America what I would have had in Korea, right? Those people got stuck. You know, they spent a lot of time spinning their wheels versus someone else who maybe for whatever reason, they can't be a doctor here, but they open up a restaurant or or a dry cleaner and they're wildly successful, right? It wasn't what they were meant to do, like, you know, when they were, you know, coming up, but they ended up just being so successful because to your example, they didn't spend a lot of time saying, oh, wow, wasn't it great when I got into that school and I got these great grades and, you know, I was going to do all this. No, they don't have time for that. They were too busy getting stuff done.
1: Yes, no, that's a great story. And a lot of successful immigrants, I have to say, tying back to what you said about my, you know, what I thought a superpower is, Mm -hmm. I love interviewing immigrants, especially successful ones, because most of them had to take their success that they had in the past and push it aside and keep looking ahead nobody really cared how they were top man on the total pole where they came from they were starting and 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 they weren't they weren't bothered by this they just said they, they they were ready to move forward and they have an amazing story usually overcoming considerable adversity they it's there's a consistent story and and you say well did you read did you have roadblocks so they're like of course well, how did you overcome this? How did you overcome that? And there's usually numerous ones. And you're like, why didn't that derail you? And, and, you know, maybe part of it is because they had the initiative to leave where they were before. So they might be inclined to already be forward thinking and adapting. But there's usually. You- a very interesting story behind that. You know, tying in similarly with things, you know, a lot of people ask, what number do you need to be successful for retiring or or be content or reach your goal? And I will have, let's say I have two different clients and they both have the same amount of savings and the same amount of expenses. Mm -hmm. And it's unclear whether they'll have enough money or not for their retirement, and, and the majority of Americans don 't have enough money, so this is not uncommon. But what has struck me over the years is when I, when the people at the end say, "Well, do you think I'm, we're going to be successful moving forward?" And if they are highly flexible, if they have shown me at different stages of their life, they have I say, "You know what you're going to adapt in the past, you adapt now, you're flexible, you're going to adapt to the future. If you have enough money, fine. If it's going to be a little different, I have total confidence that you'll be able to make things work. And the next person who's like, well, if, I, if this isn't given to me and I'm entitled to this because I have this and this is my lifestyle, and, you know I can't go back. I'm not going back. This is, this is now my new status. And you see it in different things that they say. They get very uptight. They get very rigid. And you're just thinking they're going to freeze if they have to make adjustments. And they're going to have a lot harder time, you know, moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that you use the words um, rigidity and and freeze, right? Because that to me conjures up images of things shattering and breaking, right? Versus something that's more, you know, fluid or soft or can bend and can conform a little bit. Because let's face it, life is good. Life doesn't care about our plans, right? Life is going to give us what life gives us right? And we have to figure out what to do with that. It doesn't matter how much we complain or what we think should be given to us. That that has no effect on what life gives us. The, the pandemic, the virus doesn't care that you thought what you should be doing or what targets you should be hitting next year. It could care less.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely correct. And uh, the only good thing is sometimes people find that they're more flexible than they might realize. And mm. even if people originally are a little devastated, I encourage people that they might have, you know, you talk about a superpower, they might have more adaptability and creative flexibility than they can imagine. I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I had a, a, a clients who told me that they had to go on their bucket list of eight, seven or eight places they had to visit, and, and they were all very expensive, and they had mm-hmm. to go on a National Geographic tour, and they had to go here, and, and I said, well, that's going to cost you a lot of your savings, and, and you might, you know, have trouble with other, other expenses down the road. Well, we have to do this. We have to do this, and we went back and forth, and, they, and I said, well, if it's something you have to do, it, you know, you can do it, but mm-hmm. understand here are some things you might have to deal with later on. So they were about to go on the trip and the woman in this couple got sick mm-hmm. and her doctor said, basically, um, you know, you're going to be fine, but you always have to be within a certain uh, a proximity to hospitals because right. of your particular condition. And so they decided to take canoe trips in New England instead. And each week instead. Okay. And so what they did is they picked a new river every month. Yeah, and they start taking pictures and they had a plan of what they were going to do on the river and how they were going to do it. And they they used their background in photography to put together a whole, a whole panel of of really interesting shots. And then they would send me these things having a great time doing this having a great time doing this. These trips cost them next to nothing. I will tell you, I will tell you, I don't care if they went on those eight National Geographic things, which would have almost delete, depleted most of their savings. Oh, my God. I don't believe they would have gotten any more satisfaction than they did. And they said, did you see our photos? Did you see this? Did you see that? And they, they and then they kept a journal and they wrote me this stuff. And and so it told me, like, well, I would have thought this group was just couldn't adapt, but they did. And I think for the better.
0: Hmm. You know what that reminds me of? I I, I heard something, it's a bit of a, a, a ton, tongue-in-cheek sort of philosophical way of looking at life, but I think it applies to our discussion here where, um you know, and don't quote me, but it was something like, you know, if you're unhappy because you're not getting what you want, right, the only way to guarantee your happiness is to change what you want. <laughs> yes, Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes, I mean... Yes. Cause you know, you can only have so much control over what you can get. I mean, sometimes we feel like we're masters of the universe and we can do anything, but you know, something like a disease, you know, to use the example, uh, a health condition. I mean, you can't control that. So they changed, you know, what, what they wanted and, and they were probably to your point, maybe even more happier than they would have been with the, you know, with what they thought they wanted.
1: Yes. And I think during this pandemic, um, It's interesting, and and again, you don't know how this will change for some people, and others it won't. But I have talked to people and clients who have their what they decided as have to, as far as expenses has changed. Oh yeah. Now I don't. I I, I, and and, you know it's like well, if we don't go out to this type of restaurant, we just uh, didn't have a good weekend. Well, you haven't done it for three months. Now that you could do it, do you? What do you feel? Well, I don't know. We've come up with some new things that seem to work maybe not as well, but we're, we're pretty satisfied. And no, we don't think we're going to go back and do the same things we did before. So I am seeing people already envisioning changing some of their priorities.
0: Yeah, what's interesting to me is, um, sometimes we can't imagine Yes, something different until we're kind of forced to imagine it, you know, and then once we Very start well to imagine it, we're just like, Oh yeah, that, I, that would totally work. But until we were forced to, we were never going to get there.
1: Yes. Yes. I think we, we limit ourselves in terms of of our ability to be flexible and adapt. And, and we don't always know um, Dan Gilbert, a professor at philosophy, Uh, of of psychology at Harvard, wrote a book, Stumbling on Happiness. And he does all these experiments and he keeps on showing that what people thought would make them happy, they were wrong. And then they do this, (laughs) they're wrong, wrong, wrong. And and, and by the time you're two thirds done with the book, you say, okay, you've convinced me. Why should I even bother to guess what it would be? I guess I'll just experience it. See, I won't, I don't have a clue. So he, he really, it's just, it, it, it's, we, we, we really uh, trick ourselves to think we know when we don't. And, um, and, and, and so the, 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 and, and in a certain way, this gives us a power to be able to say, well, since we don't know anyway, and we have to make certain changes, maybe we'll be able to resolve them fine and, 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 and move forward.
0: Now, getting back to the original um, lie, which was, you know, follow your passion and the money will follow. Just wanted to get your perspective on connecting passion to revenue and creating money, right? Because in my mind, um, it doesn't have to be, right? Like, Like you can be quite happy following your passion and working a job which supports or sits alongside that passion. Then to me, that passion is like a hobby. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm curious to get your perspective. What is the difference between keeping that passion as a hobby, which many people do, and I think that's great and there's nothing wrong with that, versus turning your passion into um, more of a vehicle for, uh, you know, s- sustaining your, your, your income
1: and your, and, and your life? Well, you know, it's a very good question. And in fact, there's an assumption that the best career. Mm-hmm. Would be one that ties into your passion, and mm. I remember and I remember talking to um, a relative of mine who 's a very accomplished artist, and she said, "If I became a professional artist, it would take away my passion i like the I like the idea of being able to do what I want and not have to worry about the marketplace and yeah. if i 'm drawing for somebody else, you have now taken away Something that's very there. So, you know, it's very interesting that people are talking like if you if you do what you're passionate and tie it to the marketplace, that's the highest level you could be at. Uh-huh. And to have a passionate hobby that you didn't turn into money is, a, well, I guess that's the best you could do. I would argue that there are some things that are so sacred to yourself in terms of maybe you just love composing a guitar song that you don't really care if anybody but you likes. That's it, <laughs> and you're just thrilled with the song. and the discussion. Who cares? You know, I don't. You know, did with the ten thousand people stand up when I played the song? No, I don't care. And if I'm, I'm figuring out what's the popular tune and listening to what it is and then analyzing a way to write something that will somehow make the, the thing because I can write a song that fits this algorithm and maybe it'll be successful. You say, my gosh, you know, that's not why I got into music to begin with. So I think, I think it's, it's a, you're asking a good question, which is, do you always have to have your passion be your source of income? Now, I think you could make a case that you don't want to do something that you hate. You right. don't want to feel like you're a prisoner. You don't want to feel something where it's not using your aptitude. A lot of people are underutilized. You know, I, I you know, you talk to college graduates to say, "Oh, I, I, I," you know, the work that I'm doing doesn't need this type of degree. I, people don't are are let, letting me show my true self. Certainly, s- some skills like that you would like to be able to allow to surface more. But I don't think. You know, you could have something that you have an aptitude in, something that you like, something that you're good at, something that it's valued, and it doesn't have to be a passion.
0: Hmm. So what I'm hearing here is there's like a eyes wide open kind of thing where if you're going to do this, uh and, and sort of overlap the two, there may be some impact on your freedom and your ability in the way you think about it. So not that it's right or wrong, but just to understand that if, if that's what you want to do, that that it's different than it just being totally yours and and not having to affect other people or, or your income.
1: Right. I think the big issue that we, and, and people who sell books, when, when they have that title that was a famous book of do what you love and money will follow. And then there's other things. I think that as a, as a society and as individuals, we sometimes underestimate the importance of Mm trade-offs. And so let's say you have a job that gives you a tremendous scheduling flexibility. It's, it's not what you love, but you like it well enough, but it gives you time to do something that you really like. Maybe you want to not travel as much. Maybe you want to be able to spend time coaching your kids' uh, baseball team, soccer team, but whatever it is, and that's what you have a passion for. I, I personally... Um, was a coach for kids sports teams and had a great time. I, I had lots of laughs. It was, a, it was a really special experience. And I had to make trade-offs, which meant that I started trying to travel less so I would be able to do that. And, but it was one that I was really happy with uh, because I said, well, my kids are going to be done with this age very quickly. And then I, I won't be able to coach like this. So it was really a special time. And it was a trade-off. But a lot of times people like, well, why should I have to deal with these trade-offs? It's not fair. And I think the the, the people who are best at trade-offs focus on the positive aspects. A trade-off means that there's some good and some bad. Mm-hmm. I like to focus in on, boy, am I fortunate that I I have the ability to coach my children at a really special time in their life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean what i'm what I'm hearing from that is you know when you make that choice and, and you have that perspective, that's very empowering, right? versus feeling like you're um, forced to do something I mean I, one thing that I've been playing around with is this concept that no one can ever really force you to do anything 100% like it feels that way right like like it feels like someone puts a gun to your head and of course you have to do yes. it right but yes. ultimately you are deciding that you'd rather do the thing than then get shot like you're still yes. making that 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 decision yes. now some decisions are harder than others right you can apply a whole bunch of pressure um, but it's just interesting to me that a lot of what you're surfacing is there's two types of people, one that seem to externalize and, and, and give the power and the blame outside yes. of themselves and others who take more responsibility or control or however you want to think about it and, and are more proactive in, in the way they think about that. What have you seen in terms of sort of your clients and, and how? Uh, well, works? I, I
1: and, and you know, it, that's a very good distinction. And, you hear it over and over. I think it it's almost a worldview. view. It, mm-hmm. are are you do you have some power and, and you're making some trade-offs and you're making decisions as opposed to can you believe I have to do this? And obviously some people are in situations where they're forced into that are 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 clearly, you know, they, 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 they have to survive. It's very hard to find, you know, high unemployment. They have to do something they really dislike. I, I understand that. Mm-hmm but the the notion that you do have certain level of control and even if it's a little you mm-hmm. keep on focusing on that and trying to expand that as opposed to focusing on what you can't control and mm-hmm. get overwhelmed by that is a distinction that you 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 take even if it's a little control you keep on trying to gradually have that grow and and it, if you keep on focusing on what you can't control and, oh, I, I got this and it's unfortunate that. And, and I've watched people who have what seems to me to have very fortunate economic and personal and educational and background things spend a lot of time telling me all the bad breaks they got. Mm-hmm. Well, it tells me that they really are not spending are not focusing on what they can control, but more what they couldn't. And it's it it tends to downwardly spiral. On the other hand, the people are say, "Well, this wasn't very good." It it gets back to your immigrant story and Mm. and other things. Yes, we 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 laughed. Yes, you know maybe I was a big shot back where I was before, but here I am now. And well, it's a new country. It's got some uh, people don't understand why I'm as great as I was. But you know what? I'm gonna start. They're going to figure it out because this is what I'm going to do to get from point A to point B to point C. And I, you know what? It might take some time, but eventually people are going to start understanding that I'm pretty hot stuff.
0: <laughs> well, you know what I love about what you just said? What really resonates with me is this, this universal concept. And I think it applies to, um, you know, your philosophy on life. It applies to finance. It applies to everything. That, that sense of you just need a little bit right? Like, like if you take a little bit of control or you save a little bit of money, right? Like, you know, not everyone can put in like, you know, thousands of dollars into their, you know, bank account savings, but how many people can say they couldn't put in like a dollar or, or $10 just to get started once in a while. But it's, it's like that, that's a big difference between doing a little bit and just saying, oh, I, I can't do anything ever. And to me, that, that's like, you always hear about these stories about people who started with nothing and, and, yeah. and blew up. And, and in all those stories, I always see that like consistent, like that little thing that they just started a little bit and it grew from there.
1: Yes. And, and, and I think it's a very good point in, in keeping on looking at it. And, you know, one of the difficulties sometimes if, if you happen to have grown up and been successful and you have to then face adversity later on is you might not have had that muscle have much of a workout. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I've watched that. I've watched that with people who were like, well, uh, what do you mean I have to deal with this now? Well, the person who's had a little and keeps on expanding, they see things keeping on getting better for the Mm -hmm. people who have been successful. And now they've hit a roadblock. And, and I'm dealing, some of my clients are, are, are in that situation. Now, Mm -hmm. some of them are, You know, seizing on what they control, but some are are focusing on the fact that, well, we can't control it and we never had to deal with this before. And one person actually came up and told me, I don't really have muscles to deal with this. I've never really had to. (laughs) Well, at least they were (laughs) self-aware. And and they were self-aware. And I thought that was the first step. And I said, well, you ever, when you started at the gym, did you have any? And they said, not much. I said, well, you look pretty good shape now, do the same thing. And so we kind of laughed about it, but, yeah. but I think there's, there's definitely, it's, it's a skill that you can enhance and it keeps growing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a, you know, they always talk about, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with your psychology interests, you know, the growth mindset uh, versus the yes. fixed mindset, you know, you can always teach an old dog new tricks.
1: And, and I, I think that in this pandemic, uh, there's, there are, there is going, there are a lot of changes that have take, uh, that are taking place. And I watch some people who are watching them, anticipating, they don't know what all the ramifications are, but are looking expansively. And then I've talked to some people who tell me nothing's changed. Mm. And I said, really, nothing's changed. (laughs) And you you really, and, 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 and some of these people are pretty, pretty on, at least on paper, pretty darn smart. Yeah. And yet they are in total denial that things will, will change, you know, well, th- this is going And, and so I think the ability to, to, you know, take in new information and uh, you know, move forward, is a big thing. And, and uh, so I, I, the, you know, the whole issue of artificial intelligence and, and how that's just changing all sorts of ways that both to our benefit and also to potentially change jobs, to, to make them obsolete. Is, is also still, you know, on, on the horizon and continuing. So I think that just, again, a sense that things are changing, whether you like it or not, and just be aware and, and, and you can adapt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So, Ran, let's um, move on to the next step, right? So what is a specific concrete step that someone in the audience can take um, now that they can take advantage of this new knowledge that, you know, just following your passion and, and, and the money will follow is, is, is not entirely accurate. What's one single or a few concrete steps that people can do?
1: Well, I, I think, I, I guess the, the, the takeaway is don't be discouraged. Mm-hmm. You can cultivate your passion and curiosity, but adapt as needed. So you know, so it, on one hand, be kind to yourself. Cultivate the internal um, uh, strengths that you have. Be you know kind to yourself and say you know, here's what what I like. I I, I don't want to discard that. This is this is some of the things that have made me uh, who I am. But while you're understanding and cultivating the internal keep your eyes open to the external and adapt to where we're at. So it's, it's sort of a simultaneous internal development and external awareness.
0: I love that. I love that. The internal, a little, little yin yang with the internal and the external. I love that. Yes.
1: Yes. And, and, and the balancing and going back between the two.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, um, How can our guests find out more about you if they want to get in touch with you just to chat or uh, if they're curious about your services? What's the best way for folks to learn more about you, get in touch with you?
1: Uh, Well, uh, uh, we're a website. Uh, My company is streetsmartfinancial.com. And that's probably the easiest way to to get in touch with this. Um, We have our contact phone number and address and everything there. So it's just one word, streetsmartfinancial.com.
0: Thanks so much, Ran. Thank you for sharing your big lie with us. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Joe Kwan, The Connection Counselor. Do you like feeling stuck in your professional career or relationships? Do you like wasting time on top five lists or superficial advice? There was a way to change your life without having to get anyone else's permission. Would you take it? I'm happy to announce the launch of Unlock University or Unlock You. Join us as we unlock the 12 super personal skills that will immediately transform the way people respond to you. To learn more, go to www.connectioncounselor.com. See you in class! Thank you so much for listening to The Big Lie. We hope it has an amazing impact on your life. I only have one favor to ask. If you enjoy the show, please tell the one person you know who needs to hear about it and share the link. That's it. Together,
1: we can vanquish these illusions that are holding us back.